In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Two days ago, I made a happy excursion to visit um, St. John the Baptist in Front Royal, where I was for three years, and attended a wedding for uh, one of the families that I got to know well in Front Royal. At the reception, there was uh, an interesting little scene, probably went unnoticed by most people. The best man was toasting the groom and the bride, and um, said something that would seem very normal and uh, inspiring to most of us, maybe all of us. He, he reminded the, the groom and the bride how they are being called to die for each other, to lay down their lives for each other. And uh, he reassured them, don't worry, it's not all that bad, but encouraged them to persevere and to rely on God's grace. Well, as I was looking across the fire hall to the podium where the best man was giving his toast, in my line of sight was the band that was lined up. It was a fine band, an Irish band. It was very, very good, um, good classic um, Irish music. But as the best man was making this toast, I could see the one musician just screw up his face in a corkscrew like... What is this man talking about? About dying to yourself and giving up your life? He just, it was, it was as though he had just sucked on a lemon. And the fellow was, you know, you would figure it to your typical musician, you know, just a happy, joyful fellow who thinks that life is great and life should be enjoyed. And, 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 but this unvarnished dose of Christianity was not at all um, in line with his way of seeing the world. It was a good reminder. It was a good reminder because almost everyone else who was there heard it and thought, well, yeah, of course. And it's hard for us to remember how strange this sounds to other people. I had a similar moment in the course of um, going through the Gospel of John and the letters of John and, and Revelation with so many of you this past week. In reflecting on how St. John emphasizes over and over again the love of God the Father, Christ saying, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. It being very clear that Christ, who loves us to the point of giving up his life, is comparing his complete self-emptying to the manner in which God the Father, in, his, in a perfect divine act of love, begets God the Son, a perfect divine person, perfectly equal to, in majesty with God the Father, distinguishable but not not separable from God the Father. Especially as we just celebrated the, the solemnity of, of the Sacred Heart, it, it's clear to us that Christ wants to reveal to us the depth of his love. Not as though he's making up for the, for the distant, cold love that we 
receive or misunderstand from God the Father, but precisely to show us how the Father loves us. To draw us back to God the Father. It sounds normal. It sounds beautiful. The words are familiar, even if they're not. It sounds lovely because you're Christian. Think about it for a moment from the perspective of someone who's thinking, there's God. God didn't make the universe yet. So before the universe, there's God. And then God freely decides to create the universe in such a way that the things in the universe, some of the things in the universe, enjoy freedom. And the freedom that will be exercised by some of those things will introduce harm, chaos, evil. God is omnipotent and omniscient. God already knows everything, all the possible ramifications of every possible manner in which he could create the universe. And this God freely decides to create a universe in such a way that the freedom exercised by some of those rational creatures introduces evil such that he is going to enter into the world and die in order to rescue some of them. What kind of a God do you all want to believe in? That's how this sounds. This, how, this is how it sounds to the outside world. Ridiculous. In two different ways. It sounds ridiculous because the absolute almighty powerful God who will simply crush all evil sounds more powerful than your God. Right? When in, in the face of evil, in the face of injustice, what's our human reaction? What's the virtuous reaction? Not whimpering sadness, but anger. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to bring that to an end. Introducing no other elements to the equation, you can begin to understand, maybe have some sympathy, but at least begin to put yourself in the shoes of someone who would prefer to believe in a God who is just simply absolute power. No love, no sympathy. Mercy, you can ascribe mercy to this kind of God only to the degree that he doesn't crush uh, as uh, unmitigatingly or as quickly as might be deserved by the thing in need of punishing but not a merciful God in the sense that he actually cares about these, these things down there. To a great many people, that is more appealing. We, if we were to come up with a name for this kind of attitude, we might call them the, you know, the absolutors, right? Or the omnipentisti, right? They, they believe in the omnipotence of gods in such an disproportional way that they they don't even begin to understand why you would 
why you would prefer a God who cares about his creatures. What's missing? A few things, perhaps, to for starters, they think that absolute power is more powerful than love. When they hear love, they don't think power. When they hear the word love, they think weakness. When they hear the word love, they think whimpering sadness. They don't think burning passion, complete self-control, total determination. When they hear love, they don't think a a power or a force for good. They think vulnerability. How do we experience the love of God? How do we permit the love of God to be experienced by us? Do we permit the love of God to totally take over our lives powerfully? Is he our sovereign? Or do we simply derive from him uh, some uh, compassion, some encouragement, a little bit of inspiration? And when we love others, do we love them with all of our being? Is love something that can be counted on? Is love something that actually changes other things? Perhaps we can explain it uh, with an example. There's the, imagine um, the creator, right? The creator is going to make something. So we're not imagining the creator of the entire universe, but in this example, it's the creator of something, right? And this thing, let's say it has moving parts and let's say it has a purpose. There's the creator of the thing who, when he sees that the thing doesn't work right, just destroys it, gone with this. And then there's the creator who can create this thing and when he sees that it's not working properly, he can fix it. He's not powerless in the face of rebellion and simply has to destroy it. Which is more powerful? Which is a better example of omnipotence? Now, the modernist alternative is the one who wants a creator who can create a thing that's just simply perfect and never needs fixing and never needs adjusting. We can see this in a a Pollyannish attitude towards Christianity, which eviscerates it of all notion of original sin, where everything's just roses and everything's happy and everything's wonderful. That's a small example of the people who, in a very different way, in a modern way, want an absolutist God, right? These are different kinds of omnipotentisti. These are nice people. These are nice people who think it's a little strange to talk about death and giving up your life at a wedding reception. These are nice people who think that it, if, if God is love and mercy, then God is cruel, right? If, if how can God permit suffering? They'd rather not believe in a God. They either want, it, want God where 
everything is perfect and there's no freedom that's ever used for evil or no God at all. This comes out in so many of our opinions about things, our ideas about the way things work, about the way the world should work. Right? The one kind believe that, that power should always be absolute and should never permit any variation whatsoever in public life, for instance. The other, on the other hand, wants power to be absolute, to fix everything, so that nothing wrong ever goes um, unchecked. So that there is going to be a, a force above everyone that, that just takes care of everything. Not in a mean way, of course, only in a nice way. And then there are Christians who for over 2,000 years now have been in the world knowing that the power that I've been given is on loan from God. I have a responsibility and a stewardship to govern things and to govern others. I can't and I won't immediately punish every evil. Some things I'll let go because it can be fixed, it can be healed. And if I'm willing to suffer, great good can come from it. During these days after the feast of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, the bishops of this country have designated a fortnight for freedom to pray for and to advocate for greater religious freedom. It would be good to remember that at the heart of the Christian understanding of the world is Christians listening to how God revealed himself. How is the omnipotent God revealed also his perfect love? And so we surrender ourselves knowing that there is no death of which we should be afraid. The only death we should fear is, is the deterioration of our soul. Our soul will live forever, but either in glory or in misery. And it will, it will live for all eternity in glory if we permit God's grace to turn us into greater likenesses of him. We will, be, we will need to become like God in order to want to be with God forever in heaven. And so we ask him to make our love powerful. And to make our power merciful. That we may allow the world to understand why there can only be one way in which God exists. And the way in which he created the universe and created us gives him the greatest glory imaginable. That he has created free creatures who will exercise their power, their knowledge, their will, as he does. Even when others don't. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.